Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Beautiful. Hey, you guys all look cold. Got jackets on and everything. Season change. That's it's cool. We have this wet stuff outside called rain. How about that? It's pretty exciting. Yeah, so people that came last night, I'm like, hey, you guys had a great day today because Saturday was just gorgeous, wonderful day, and you're going to have this great day today because it's wet. And who doesn't like that these days, right? Yeah, we prayed for that, so that's a cool thing. So um, speaking of prayer and what kind of day it is, on Friday night was not a great day in Paris, and you're all watching those stories and the horrible things that are happening there, and you know, we have this... uh, uh, saying these days that we're using at Lakeside a lot called the pain is in the family. And when these kinds of things happen in our world, and they happen way, way, way too often, uh, then you realize the pain is in the human family. The pain is in the family of the world. And so I just thought today would be a good time just to stop and pray for our friends in France and for this world and that God would do his amazing work among us. So let's stop for a minute, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for the fact that you're good. Uh, You have created this world. It is a beautiful world. The things you have put into it are beautiful. Uh, We have people that we get to love and share with, and that's a beautiful thing. We have a beautiful church full of people that we get to love like you love, so thank you for all of that. But Lord, there is evil in the world, and you didn't cause it, but for reasons that are beyond us, you allow it sometimes to continue and Lord, we just want to plead with you to bring peace to our world. Uh, We want to pray for those people who have lost loved ones uh, there in France this weekend. Uh, We want to pray for their hearts, uh, that they would reach out to you in the midst of this loss and the horror of it. Um, We want to pray for that nation, that you'll protect them, as well as we want to pray that you would protect the people in our nation, Lord. Uh, Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. We pray that for our whole world. Lord, we pray for justice in the world. It often doesn't seem to get served, but you are a God of justice, and so I pray that you would uh, carry that out uh, in this journey as well. And Lord, may the world seek you. I don't I don't believe there will ever be peace in the world until each of our hearts are filled with peace, and that peace only comes from you. So we seek you out for it. We seek your grace uh, for this world. Thank you. Lord, we love you. Today, as we look into your book, would you show us who you are and fill our hearts with you so that we can take uh, your grace and your love, your mercy, your peace, your goodness out into the world around us. We seek this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, okay, that's a rough transition to go from that to where we're talking about these days. But you, you will see, as we're talking about decision-making these days, and how do you make decisions? How do you make good decisions? And Christians are always trying to figure out, how do I figure out what God's will is for my life? And that really translates into, how do I make good decisions in my life? And so that matters to us. And uh, matters really in every area of our lives. It's a crucial skill to be able to make good decisions. And uh, some, some decisions are not as significant as others. You know, whether you had eggs and toast for breakfast or whether you had oatmeal for breakfast, those are both pretty good choices. Some choices are a little bit more significant and meaningful, like, you know, am I going to have that apple fritter for breakfast or not? Because <laughs> that has lasting consequences, especially if you have it again tomorrow. 
And the next day, you know, but, you know, um, uh, so some decisions have a little bit more impact. Some, of, some decisions that we make are huge in terms of being life-changing uh, long-lasting decisions and with impact that carries on for that. So if you're a younger person and maybe you've never been married and you're starting to think, ah, I want to get married, and, and who, who's that one person out there that I could marry that would be like the soulmate for me? And maybe we go, oh, who's God's one single person for me that I could marry? And, and we start going down those kind of tracks. And when you, when you think about marrying somebody, that's a lifelong thing, and that's going to change your life. It's going to change their life, and you're like hoping it's for the better. More, more or less? Yeah, okay, good. So, yeah, that's... Or, uh, or you have a career, like, oh, I've got these gifts and I've got these talents and I've got to figure out how to use them in my career. Maybe you got laid off from a job and you never thought you would. You've been with that company for 12 years. You thought, I'm solid right here. And you get laid off and now you're thinking, I've got to go in the job market. I've got to find a job. And do I want to change paths? Do I want to stay in the same path? How's that going to work? Some of you are in a spot where you've been with a company for a long time, and now the company's changing a little bit, and they come to you one day, they go, hey, we've got this early retirement package. We'd like to offer it to you. And in your heart, you're going, what are you saying? Yeah, thank you. Oh, so thank you. So sometimes that decision not that hard. Okay, so, but sometimes maybe it's hard to make those kinds of decisions. Some of you are just trying to make decisions like, hey, I've already retired, and I've got to figure out how to make this money last for the rest of my life, however long that's going to be. And I've got to make decisions to make that happen. Decision-making is a crucial skill, and we want to know it for ourselves. We want to be able to do that for ourselves. We want to be able to teach our children how do you make good decisions, so it matters to us. So we've been talking about this thing uh, over these last few weekends, and again, with that backdrop of, of this phrase, the pain is in the family. And often, not always, but often, the reason the pain is in the family is because somebody in the family made a bad decision. Don't point at them right now, but, you know, sometimes that's how that goes. And sometimes it's their decision. Sometimes it's my decision. Sometimes it's not a result of anybody's decision, but often it is. So we've been talking about this whole idea of how do you make good decisions? How do you make wise decisions? And I want to take the next step in that journey for us today. And and, uh, just do a little bit of review in case you haven't been with us or you kind of forgot where we've been so far. Uh, As we're talking about decisions, we're talking about what's the wise thing for us to do? And sometimes as followers of Christ, we get, kind of, we get kind of distracted by this bright, shiny thing that says God has a perfect will for my life and he wants me to discover it and then do it. And so when it comes to who to marry, where to go to college, what kind of career to have, all these major life decisions, we start trying to figure out what God wants for us. But his specific will, whatever that is for us, is not written down in his book. And so where do you find it? And it's frustrating and it's mysterious and mostly it's a distraction of our time. Not that God doesn't care who you marry or God doesn't care where you work. Not that God doesn't care, but he hasn't specifically laid it out in any way that's objectively findable. And we get distracted by that from the other things that God has told us very clearly. This is what I want. This is my will for you. So we've seen over the last couple of weekends, we we know this absolutely without question, this is God's will for your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what God wants for you. And whether you live in Folsom or whether you live in New York City or whether you live in Timbuktu, it doesn't matter. God's will for you is love him with everything you have. And he goes on, he goes, hey, there's, there's more I want you to know as well. There's, there's uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That matters to God. That's his will for our lives. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you're married to. He goes, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. 
He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did he love us? He sacrificed his life for us. He says, I want you to love one another like that. That's God's will for your life. Focus on that. And, of course, Jesus takes it further because he says, oh, and love your enemies. Have you tried that? Oh, you don't have enemies? That's beautiful. Well, if you have some, try it. That's exactly what Jesus says. Hey, this is my will for you. I want you to love your enemies. That's almost impossible, but that's what he calls us to do. And then he says, oh, and if you're married, love your spouse. He goes, that's, that's my will. That's what I want you to do. And, you know, you can search all these other things and try and figure out what exactly he wants you to do and where he wants you to go and all these decision things. But if you'll just focus on doing the things that he asked you to do really clearly, you'll be way down the road in terms of understanding how to make great decisions. Now, as we're looking at the scriptures, trying to figure out what the scripture says about how do we make decisions, we've come over and over in this series to the passage in, this, in the New Testament called Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to come back to that in a moment, but just let me remind you, we, we've developed a question from Ephesians chapter 5 that I believe is a clarifying question when it comes to making decisions in your life. If you would ask this question at the beginning of a process of trying to make decisions, it will clarify almost every decision you have to make very quickly. The question goes like this, in light of my past experiences, which I am full of, I got all kinds of past experiences. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. Some of those worked out well. Some of those didn't work out so well. I've got baggage from my past experiences. I've got joys from my past experiences, but in light of my past experiences and my current circumstances, and some of my current circumstances, I'm in those circumstances because of past decisions that I've made, but they are now current circumstances. And some, sometimes my current circumstances are wonderful and sometimes they're not so good. But in light of my current circumstances and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what I long for, what I desire, what I hope for, in light of my past and my current and my future, what is the wise thing for me to do? That's the question of decision making. In light of my past and my present and my future. What is the wise thing for me to do? And if you'll ask that question, you will probably get to a lot of clarity in terms of what the best thing for you to do is in the next step of your life. Now, that's what we've been asking so far. That comes from Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to cycle back to Ephesians 5 in a moment. But let's add some, other, some more biblical content to that. Let's get some other places from the scripture and say, what else does the Bible say about making good decisions? All right, so if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to uh, Job chapter 14. We're going to spend a little time with Job today, as well as some other things. So Job chapter 14, and uh, let's just think through what Job uh, talks about in, in regard to uh, some biblical wisdom about decision making. Job was a man who suffered a ton, suffered horribly, and he has a dialogue going with God, and uh, so, he just, so he addresses God in Job chapter 14. So if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some on the chair near you. You can reach over and grab one of those. You can use your smartphone. If you're using the YouVersion app uh, on your smartphone, YouVersion slash live will take you to some notes uh, for this talk if that's helpful to you. So Job chapter 14, verse 1, here's what Job says to God. He says, mortals born of woman are a few days and full of trouble. Happy thought right there. It's like, oh, thanks, Job. Uh, they spring up, these mortals spring up like flowers and wither away like fleeting shadows. They do not endure. Do you fix your eyes on them, God? 
Will you bring them before you for judgment? Who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. And then he says this, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits. He cannot exceed. All right, when it comes to decision-making, wise decision-making, wisdom asks this question. How much time do I have? How much time do I have? Because Job says to us, look, your days are numbered. The, The number of your months has been limited. God has set a limit on your days, and you cannot exceed it. Man, that's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, you think if you were like really healthy, you could, you could exceed the number a little bit, right? So this last Monday, I had my annual physical checkup. And can I just say to you, the, the best time to have your annual physical checkup, next time you do an annual physical, you should spend six months training for a marathon, then do the marathon, and one week later, do your physical. It's fantastic. I go in, two years ago, my doctor was mad at me because she thought my blood sugar was too high. So she's like, how, you know, how much sweets do you eat? How much dessert do you eat? I'm like, not much. She goes, well, like, tell me how much. I said, well, I have a bowl of ice cream every night. She said, every night? She looked at me like I was a nutcase. Every night you have ice cream? She goes, maybe you should cut that like in half. I looked at her like she was a nutcase. Well, then I did this whole marathon deal, right? And, and uh, so I went back in. She knew I was running the marathon. And so I came back in this last Monday, had my, my little checkup, and she, they did the blood pressure and the heart rate and the cholesterol. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Those of you who aren't clapping are just jealous, but... Do the work, it's okay. So anyway, so she, my, my doctor, she actually said to me, she goes, you should treat yourself. I'm like, right on, yeah. (laughs) Peppermint ice cream, it's in the market right now. All right, so, but you know what? I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been in my entire life since I was like four or something. And still, the days of my life are limited and I cannot exceed that limit. Wisdom asks, how much time do you have? How much time do I have? How much time do I have to make this decision? How much time do I have before this decision becomes a fact? How much time do I have in my life? How much time do I have? If I'm going to ask in light of my past and my present and my future, what is the wise thing for me to do? One of the things I have to ask is, what do I do with my time? Because my time matters because it's limited. Moses tells us that also. So Job tells us that, but Moses tells us also. Now, a lot of you know Moses as the lawgiver, right? So he gave us the first five books of the Bible, gave us the Mosaic Law. But I don't know if you know that Moses was actually a poet as well. So he wrote songs. And one of the songs that he wrote is is found in the book of Psalms. It's found in Psalm 90. It's not written by David. It's written by Moses. So if you have your Bible, pull that one out. Psalm 90, verse 10 Here's what Moses, the lawgiver, songwriter, says to us about wise decisions. Psalm 90, verse 10, he says, Our days may come to 70 years, or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. Man, he must have been a friend of Job. (laughs) Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And then this, 
Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He says, look, you get 70 years, 80 if you're strong. I'm like, oh, good. Yeah, that gets me nowhere. 70, you get 70 years. Okay, so then he says, now teach us to number our days. All right. I'm 56 years old. You do the math. I did already. I got 14 years left. Fourteen years. I remember when I was fourteen. I remember what I was doing when I was fourteen. I remember at fourteen, your your life is just about eternal because you can't see that far down the road. Fourteen. Now, if I'm if I go where Moses says I'm heading, I got fourteen years left, and it's going to go by like that. Fourteen years. Now maybe maybe I got twenty four years left. Now, and what Moses is saying is proverbial. He's not making a statement of fact. There are, there are statements in the Bible that are proverbial statements. Uh, like in the book of the Proverbs, most of those, of course, are proverbial statements. They're not always true. They are generally true. Here's a statement from Moses. Generally, you get 70 or 80 years. I've looked back at the last two generations of my family, my parents and all my grandparents. Every one of them died from heart disease. Every one of them. And they all died in their 70s. There's a clock ticking in my heart today and in yours. And, of course, some people don't make it to 70. We've, we've probably all la- lost someone who didn't make it to 70 because that's a proverbial statement, not just like that's how it is. And some, some people in the room probably have made it past 80 years old already. I'm like, good job. You were borrowing that time. Oh, sorry. No, just you know, didn't mean to bring it down there. Let all that Job and Moses do that, they bring you down just fine. So I just realized, uh, I always think of myself as middle age. For me to be middle age right now, I'd have to live to 112. <laughs> Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Last week, we talked about the idea that there are four different kinds of people in the world. There are wise people, there are fools, uh, there are mockers, and there are what the scriptures call the simple. And I probably offended some of our teenagers who were, teenagers who were in the room because they said, look, if you're a teenager, you're simple. And that's not really a slam or anything. It just means you're young, and it's hard to get, it's hard to get wisdom while you're that young. Why? Because you can't see the end of your life. One of the hardest things for a young person to do is number their days. But if you're in your 50s, you can count that far. If you're in your 60s, you can see that far. But when you're young, it's hard to do that. So it's why it's, why it's so hard to become wise when you're young, because you don't know how to, young, to number your days. So let's, let's take the question we've been asking from Ephesians chapter 5. Let's, let's take that question and add some biblical impact to it. Let's change it up. Let's add to it just a little bit. So the question now would be something like this. In light of my past experiences and in light of my current circumstances and in light of my future hopes and dreams and in light of my understanding of Scripture, 
And admittedly, all of our understanding of Scripture is not in the same place. We don't all know the same amount. We don't all know the same things. But in light of my understanding of Scripture, what is the wise thing for me to do with my time? What is the wise thing for me to do with my time? Okay, go back to Ephesians 5. Let's go back to kind of what our theme verse is for this series. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. We've seen it over and over and over as we go along in this walk. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to us about our time. He says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Okay, let's start with the back and, and, and work back to the beginning, right? How, how many of you would say the days are evil? About 30. The rest of you don't read the news? I mean, yeah, it's not very hard to figure out the days are evil today. It's fascinating. The days are evil today, and the days were evil when Paul was writing this letter 2,000 years ago. The days were evil then. The days are evil now. That's just kind of how that works doesn't mean everything's evil, but it means there's evil in the world. The days are evil. He says, because of that, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. In light of my past and my present and my future, in light of what I understand from Scripture, what is the wise thing for me to do with my time? Make the most of every opportunity. One translation says it this way, redeem the time. In your life, redeem the time. Now, there's two Greek words that, he, that Paul uses when he writes that phrase, make the most of every opportunity. I know some of you love it when I talk Greek to you, so let me give you a couple of words. There's a, one Greek word, it's called exagorago. It's a word that means to buy something out, to redeem it, to buy it back, to buy it up, to buy it out, or literally buy out the market. Have you ever bought out the market of anything? I have bought out the market of peppermint ice cream before. I go down, I go down there, it's like, it's like Christmas time, and they start letting their supply run low, and I go down there, and I'm like, there's only three cartons left. Boom, boom, boom. I buy out the market right there. Why? Because it's valuable to me. I want it. I want it. I, you know, so I, I have bought out the market. Not all the time, but sometimes. He says, I want you to buy out the market on what? On opportunities. What does that mean? That's, that's a Greek word. The, the word opportunity is a Greek word that is usually translated time in English. There are two Greek words that are translated time in the scriptures. One is the word chronos. You probably know the word chronos because we get our word chronology or chronological from that. Chronos just means something that happened in time. And so chronology is a bunch of points of, of things that happened on a timeline. It's just a linear, sequential kind of a deal, a chronology. It's just a moment or a, a, a minute in time or an activity in time. But that's not the word that he uses here. The word that he uses here is the word kairos, which refers to a kind of time. It refers to a moment. It refers to a season. He says, make the most of the seasons in your life. Every life is filled with seasons. And we're not talking just summer, fall, winter, spring. 
We're talking seasons of life, occasions of life. And sometimes the occasions of life or the seasons of life are relatively short. And sometimes the seasons of life are relatively long. But every one of us goes through seasons in our lives. And it would pay for us if we're going to figure out how to make wise decisions to know what season you're in. I mean, you might be in, you might be in more than one season right now, but you could characterize you, the, your season of life in certain terms. Some of you are single today. You're in a season of life where you're single. Some of you are single and you've never been married. And so that's the season of life that you're in. Some of you are single, but you really like to be married. You're like, I'd like to move out of this season. I want to go to the next season. And that's a noble desire. And maybe it just hasn't happened yet. And that's a season in your life. Paul says, in the midst of that season, make the most of every opportunity that you have. Some of you are single after you've been married. You've lost your spouse, unexpectedly maybe, or maybe after a long illness, I don't know. But now you find yourself a widow or a widower. And you're like, I never expected to be in this season of my life. Well, stop and think about it, though. God says, that's a season. I want you to make the most of the opportunities in that season. Some of you are single because you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you sought it, or maybe your partner sought it. I don't know, and maybe that was totally unexpected, or maybe that, again, you saw that coming for a long, long time, but now suddenly you're single, and you're like, I didn't want to be single. God says, make the most of the opportunity in the season that you're in. Some of you are newlyweds. Any newlyweds in the room? Yay! That's awesome. How, many, how much time? Eight months. Eight months. Ooh, that's fantastic. Yeah, a little clapping and cheering. It won't last. I'm sorry. I, was, I just did a Moses on you. I'm sorry. You know, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's... Fit. We all die. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, number your, number your days. Okay. Hey, well, I'm glad the rest of you are here for our conversation. That's beautiful. So, yeah, but you know, the honeymoon time is great, but it doesn't last. It's a season. It's a, it's a beautiful season, but it doesn't last. Sometimes children come. You know, children are fantastic, beautiful. You got little children, you got this little baby. Babies are just beautiful, but they mess their diaper. You know, and when you got this, when you got your first baby in that first baby season, that's the coolest season. You got some really great things going on. You got some things that are not so great going on, but it's a season. It will pass because you'll have number two, baby, baby number two. And, uh, you know, and then it, it, it changes. And you have baby number three, which is the messy season, which goes for the rest of their lives. But it's a season. You got, you got a season when you got children that you have to carry around, then you have children that will not let you carry them around. It changes, and now, you have, now you're a parent of teenagers, and that's a season. Look, parents of teenagers, it won't last. This, this too shall pass. I know, I know if you've got like a 13-year-old saying, no, it's never going to end. It will. And then you'll be going, oh, I long for that season, because now you'll find that you're a parent of adult children, and that season probably never ends either. That just, you know, so you've got all these seasons and not even all your seasons are, not all your seasons are relational seasons. Maybe they're financial seasons. Maybe you've gone through a bankruptcy and now everything's upside down for you financially. It's like that's a season 
in your life. And when you come to that season in your life, make the most of every opportunity. Maybe you just got a new job. You're in a brand new season at work. You're, you're like in a honeymoon stage at work. That's, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. But you got this sharp learning curve. It's a season. See, there are all kinds of seasons in our lives. And it pays for us to know what season we're in. I just found out, by the way, I just found out from my oldest daughter that I'm going to uh, enter another season of my life coming up here very soon. Yeah, yeah, grandparent for me. (laughs) That's a season I've been looking forward to for a long time. (laughs) I can hardly stand it. So, (laughs) okay, never mind. I'm going to tell you about my grandbaby, but I don't know him yet. So... Or her, or whatever. So let's move on. Anyway, so seasons, right? So it pays to know what season you're in. If you want to be wise, if you want to make wise decisions, Scripture says make sure you know what season you're in. Whether that's at home, whether that's at work, whether that's in relationships, whatever it is, know what season you're in. And then add this to your biblical wisdom on how this works with uh, understanding how time fits into your decision-making, know what you value and what God values for you. And if you're a Christ follower, make those match. Right? I know some of you are here and you're just investigating who God is and you've been thinking about Jesus and you've been reading his story a little bit and things like that. Maybe you've got friends who are talking to you about who Jesus is in your life and you haven't even decided you're following Jesus yet. Okay, well, you're not necessarily going to have your values match up with God's values for you. I understand that. Keep, keep looking. We'll help you figure out who Jesus is. That's fantastic. But a lot of you have said, look, I'm, I'm in. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to give everything I have to Jesus. And so now know what your values are and know what God's values are for you. Which, again, we've talked about a lot here lately. Love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, love your spouse, things like that. That's what God values for you. That's God's will for your life, what he values for you. Know what season you're in. Know what values you have and what God values for you. And then know this, that small investments of time over time accumulate. As you're thinking about how time works into your life and how do, you, how do you make the most of every opportunity in the seasons that you are in, know this, that small investments of time over time accumulate. Andy Stanley says it this way, the small shapes the big. The small shapes the big. That's what Legos are about. Anybody play with Legos? Ooh, a lot of you. Awesome. That's cool. And you have the courage to admit it. That's beautiful. I love that. So, and some of you don't even have little children in your house. And you're, you know, that's awesome. So Legos, what are they? Little plastic bricks with, with you know, two things sticking out the top, right? And, and you, you can take little tiny Lego bricks and you can make a Millennium Falcon. <gasps> the small shapes the big. That's true in all areas of our life. The small shapes the big. It's true with time. It's true with money. It's true with relationships. The small shapes the big. It's true in marathon running. I'm going to tell you a marathon running story. I'm going to keep telling you marathon running stories until you tell me to stop. Because i got a thousand of them. 
So I'm in New York City a couple weeks ago. I'm running the New York City Marathon, right? And uh, I'm, in, I'm, I'm about mile 15. At mile 15, you have to go over the Queensboro Bridge. It's about a mile up. Not a mile up. It's about, yeah, it's about a mile up. This made the story better. It's about a mile that way, and it's quite a bit up this way. And so I'm running mile 15. I'm going up this, this bridge. And right about the time that the sun comes out, or right by the time I go over this bridge, the sun comes out. Now it's hot. It's pounding on me, and I'm pounding up this bridge. And life is not good about that time. And I get down to the other side. I go down the other side. And then, and then at the bottom, you turn right, and you go up First Avenue through, um, like, Spanish Harlem. First Avenue from mile 16 to mile 19, it's just a straight road. No turning. It, has, it, it goes down a little bit, and then at the other half, it goes up like this. And so from mile 16, you can see all the way to mile 19, and all you see for three straight, solid miles is nothing but a sea of humanity. And they are not making progress. And right about that time was when I first started walking. About a half mile into that three-mile stretch, I started walking because I'm so discouraged about the fact that there's a lot of people in my way, and they're not making progress, and I'm not making progress, and this is terrible. And I started walking because I forgot the principle that says the small shapes the big. You don't have to reach three miles in one step. You don't have to reach three miles in three minutes. You just have to keep going because those small steps are going to add up to miles as you go along. Of course, I didn't stop. I just, I, I, I just slowed way down. I was still doing small. And you know what happened? I finished. I finished those three miles, and I wrapped through the Bronx, and I came back down Fifth Avenue, and I finished. Why? Because the small shapes the big. And so in your life, you're in these seasons. You go, man, I messed that season up. I got to catch up. Don't try and catch up all at once. I messed up my relationship with with my kids. I got to catch up. Don't catch up all at once. I messed up my relationship with my wife. Okay, I got to catch up, but don't catch up all at once. I messed up with my finances. I got to catch up. And if you try and catch up in one big leap, you'll make more mistakes. The small shapes the big. Make the most of every opportunity. Know what season you're in. Know what your values are and what God's values for you are. And know that small investments of time over time accumulate. And then know this. Neglect also accumulates. We neglect our diet. And what happens? We accumulate. Neglect accumulates. It accumulates in so many places. We have time bandits in our culture that will steal our lives. I have time bandits in my culture, in my life, and they will steal my time. I, I love to watch sports on television. I, I'm, it's embarrassing a little bit to admit it, but I, I could watch sports on television every night. I, like when I'm having ice cream. <laughs> That's a beautiful life right there. I could do that every night, but that will steal my life. I like social media. I like finding out that things happen in your lives because of social media. We don't get to hang out every single day or some, you know, every single week. But I know what goes on in your life because you post it. And I get to see it. That's beautiful. But that will steal my life. I have email. I don't like email. But I have it. People send me stuff and they want a response. You know, and I got to respond to those things. But email will steal my life. 
I've had to put rules of engagement in place for how I watch television and how I look at social media and how I respond to emails, how I use email. I put rules of engagement in place. Because culture wants to tell me how I should spend my time. And I want to be wise when I make decisions, so i got to tell my time what it's going to do. So I don't let neglect accumulate in my time sequences. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of my understanding of the scriptures, what is the wise thing for me to do with my time? Ask that. Jesus, thank you for loving us like you do. You are so faithful and so good to us. We love you. We, we want to honor you. We want to value the things you value. So thank you for giving us all of that. Lord, I pray for my friends here. Some of us in the room are facing big decisions today. We've got to make a decision by 6 o'clock tonight, maybe. Some of us, the biggest decision we're going to make today is where to have lunch. I don't know. There's a, a whole range. Why? Lord, because we're in different seasons. I just pray for me and for my friends that we would be able to take this question that we're finding through the Scripture and we'd be able to apply it to the decisions that come into our lives and that we would be wiser than we were yesterday, that we would make better decisions than we did yesterday because we trust you and we want to honor you and we want to be wise. Lord, give us that blessing Thank you, Jesus. Amen.